Hey guys, happy new year and welcome to this week's episode of Untucked. Um, today we're talking about stock picking and how difficult it really is. We are going to discuss New Year's resolutions and then we wrap up with um, discussion about Allen Iverson. Enjoy. The opinions expressed on this podcast are our own and do not reflect the opinions or views of FC Advisory, the Financial Coach Group, or the New Wealth Project. Nothing discussed on this podcast should be interpreted as investment advice. Happy New Year. Welcome to episode 44 of Untucked. This is Megan. And Mike. And this is Jeff. Did I ever tell you guys about um, Dunbar's theory? Are we running low on facts? Are we not sure if there's some repeats? Uh, I, I just don't. Like, this one is something that's been with me for a while, and I wasn't sure if I shared it with you guys. That, that like, the number of um, people that you can have, like, stable social relationships with and actually, like, remember their names and faces. Not ringing any bells. Yeah, it's called Dunbar's Number, and it's, like, 150. So that's, like, the max amount of people that you can maintain like a social relationship with and like that you can remember their name and their face hmm. Dunbar's number yeah but there's there's like Bill Clinton and people like that that are notoriously amazing at remembering way more than that and that's partially what makes them great politicians and also uh, apparently um I think I think Trump might even be one of those. I might be wrong about that, but having that like skill is rare and it's like super impressive. It's probably called a photographic memory or something like nah, that. No, it's different. Have you guys ever seen Devil Wears Prada? No, I have not. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> so Meryl Streep plays Amanda Priestley, who is like Anne Winterthur, like the she runs like a high end fashion magazine, whatever would be like the fictional version of Vogue. I'm very and curious to see how this relates to Dunbar's number, by the she way. She has two assistants who go with her to all of her events. And ahead of those events, her, the assistants are given a picture, like a yearbook, essentially, picture and name of every guest who is going to attend. And they split the list and are expected, they, the assistants, to memorize who the people are and they just casually follow her around the entire party and whisper into her ear as someone approaches or as they walk over to someone else. So it looks like Amanda Priestley is in fact one of the exceptions, but she's not. Her assistants may actually be. I would argue that's what Clinton does as well. Well, I think it's pretty famous. It's pretty well known he would it's why one of the reasons he was so great in a big room, he would just walk around and just impress every single person that he encountered because he would be like, oh, and, and he would not only remember a name, but stuff about them. Like if you were the president of the United States and you were going to some event where there was going to be a hundred people there, you think it's far-fetched to believe that he sits down with his crew two or three days in advance and literally just memorizes every guest name and a quick backstory on them so that he has that. Yeah, I do. Cause I think it's more than just going to that <laughs> meeting. It's, it's him on the golf course. It's, it's a, a whole bunch of settings where apparently he was just amazing at it is amazing at it. Yeah. I've heard that as well. Um, I think he's got, I think it's all planned. I think, I think he does not have Dunbar syndrome. I think that's what it is. <laughs> but do you think now because we are wearing masks and maybe wearing masks for like the foreseeable future that that number is going to reduce dramatically because you're like some of your more identifying physical attributes are <laughs> covered up? Thank God my nose will be covered up. <laughs> is that what you're getting at, Meg? <laughs> Dunbar's number. Friend right. of mine. Explain it to me as like, that's the amount of people you can remember their name and face, like Megan right. Tate, Mike Trainer, And like, as soon as you get past that, you're going to start. And, and I notice it. Like, I'll see people from college and I'm like, holy shit. Like, what is his name? I spent four years with this guy. Yeah. But so while you're in college, like, I know I, I 
remembered more than 150 people's names. 150 yeah. is a lot if you were to sit back and think about it. Yeah. I don't know. It's a lot, man. Add add to all the other people that aren't at your college. Right. I got more than 150. I mean, I think... I mean, now, now I wouldn't remember many of them, like their names, but when you're in it... I think I probably could name with a face every single one of our clients, husband and wife. And that's 180. Way more than 150. I highly doubt you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Dunbar's theory is blown up. <laughs> Philly sports. Thank Whoa. God the Eagle season is over. Ugh. Do we even want to, like, discuss anything like them benching the starters and... i don't want to perpetuate this stupid news cycle no. yeah okay i'm with you they stink they stunk they stink they're gonna stink for a while it's gonna be i'm looking forward to having this discussion in it in a year in six months eight months when we're talking about who the hell the quarterback's gonna be because that's gonna be fun i'm super not looking forward to that so tanking for the process is okay, but not, not <laughs> exactly. For a couple of I've picks. said this to like four people. I'm like, oh, the Eagles are so dramatic, <laughs> and the first thing they say is that you're a Sixers fan. I have a capacity to which I can handle the drama, and the Sixers have met my capacity. That's why. Yeah. Also, I just like. I mean, I truly enjoyed the fallout from the the decision that the birds made. Like the Giants fans being upset, the Giants players being upset was entertaining and maybe the best part of this season for me. <laughs> so hard to say, I think because of the context of the season, you know, with the pandemic, but would you say worst Eagles season in history, including the rich Cotite years when they were like three and 13, like with a regular. It's the worst Eagle season I can remember. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I was obviously alive and a fan during the Cotite years, but I don't think the expectations were as high as this team had. They were going to win our division going away this year. That was the expectation. They came in last. <laughs> and their starting quarterback did not get injured in game two. No. Or, or, you know, that's, mm -hmm. that's unbelievable if you think about it. But I just look at the team and I think about how much help it needs. It's really depressing. So is there anyone who doesn't believe that the front office are a bunch of buffoons? Is there another opinion out there that you're aware of? Yeah, Jeffrey Laurie thinks they're fun. Well, yeah, but other than You would include him in the... Uh, Ownership yeah. and management no. and coaching staff, too. I'll throw them in there. I mean... No, I think everyone... It's the only... Yeah. Yeah. The only... Storyline I've heard. Okay. So nothing on the fills. Flyers were, were, were about a week away. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you're knee deep in preseason games, right? <laughs> there are no preseason games. Just can't. Okay. But the World Juniors just finished last night. I'm sure you watched. <laughs> no. Weren't there a couple Flyers or future Flyers? Yeah, a couple of <laughs> potential future Flyers. Right. It's um, not even like they're not even on our roster they're or they're picks. not even they're, in our farm picks. system. Yeah, they're in ones in college, ones in junior. They're they're draft pick. Two are in college. They're, they're people that we drafted. Yeah, already high picks. Okay, all right. So they're in they're our farm. In, system. They're in the system, but okay. they're they're farm a couple of years at best away from playing for the team. And we have um, a couple notables like Oscar and Nolan that are that are going to be back on yep. the team this year. That's the way it looks. <clears throat> They got big Sam Moran, who was a defenseman, mm -hmm. who has battled tough like knee injuries, and they're throwing him up on the wing to see if he can bang some people around. He's like 6'7". They're Yikes. taking a, a, a six seven defenseman mm -hmm. with knee issues mm -hmm. and making him an offensive player. Yeah, and they're really doing it because they're saying, you have no shot at cracking our decor. We're deep. You know, you're, you're like, you got no shot, so here's your chance to make the team, see what you can do on the wing, and... Because they need size and size and toughness up there, and why not? Is our offensive talent that bad that we're going to bring a, a a goofy ogre from defense up to try to make that? Spot? I can't. Well, first of all, defensemen are not goofy and ogre <laughs> anymore. Is that big for a hockey player? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Six seven. Yeah. I mean, on skates. For, I, 
I just, yeah. I, I don't have anything to compare it to. On skates, but... he's like 8'2". <laughs> yeah. But no, he's not He's not an ogre. He's a he's a decent skater. He can play, you know, he can move. Okay. So, I don't really care if he makes it or not. I just think it's that's kind of the news item other than what you just said with two key guys potentially coming back off of uh, big absences. Yeah. So, I just hope the season finishes you know not only just starts but they don't end up for whatever reason getting getting shuttered i mean so. if the nfl can get through it yeah assuming yeah, that this I thing doesn't so. get worse right um i don't see any yeah, reason but why. the nfl got through it having to like reschedule games weekly but it worked they got through it yeah wasn't ideal but especially the schedule for the nhl and the nba it's just a lot harder to do that yeah with games every other night <laughs> but I, i'm hopeful too so Meg, we're waiting on the Sixers. <laughs> I mean, I've heard they're pretty good so far. As of this recording, they're six and one. They Best, play tonight. Yeah, they do. They play a legitimate NBA team. No, tonight? they play the Wizards again. I think. <laughs> um, best record in the league. We're tied for it. Um, Joel is like front runner for the <laughs> way too early MVP conversation. <laughs> um. They've genuinely been fun to watch. When Joe plays their one loss, he didn't play. Um, he's playing awesome. He's in shape. And people are knocking down shots. And it all just seems super, super simple. But it's working. And it's like the shit that they haven't been able to do the last five years. It's amazing when people on the team can actually hit jump shots. Mm -hmm. How no one talks about how Ben doesn't take jump shots. Which is great. Mm -hmm. Like yeah, Ben's, that's fair. like once the city of Philadelphia understands that Ben Simmons is not going to develop a jump shot mm -hmm. and accept that and accept him as the player that he is, like they, they can move on. And mm -hmm. that's the issue with this team. And we've been talking about it for years now. Is if they don't get anyone that can shoot the rock, mm -hmm. they're not going anywhere mm -hmm. because then their whole offense just collapses. Right, yeah. it's, it's Ben's not going to shoot. Painful. He's not going to like Joel's not going to like post up, and then we don't have to even worry about anybody taking a jump shot. Mm -hmm. So they're super easy to defend when when they can't knock down a shot. Yeah, and that's not what's happening right now. And it's <laughs> only seven games, but it's kind of amazing how quickly Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers were uh, able to undo what. Quinjo, and I don't want to blame Brett Brown for much, but what, like, how quickly they were able to undo some of the, like, really painful parts of the Sixers roster, but more specifically just their, like, game play. I hate blaming coaches for anything. Like, I really, I struggle with that because it's ultimately the players are on the court or the field or the ice and they have yeah. to go play and they're professionals. Like they're not idiots. It's not like they've, they're at the highest level. Yeah. So that's why I struggle with like blaming Peterson or blaming uh, Brett Brown. I yeah. mean, I know that there's a part of it where, you know, there's the, the, the coach creates a culture. I think with Brett, like he had, he had to live through those process years which didn't allow him, I'm, I'm, I'm literally making this up. I can't see how that would allow him to establish any like strong credibility with his players when that process was over. It's like, okay, you're going to tank for three years and then I want you to be like the hard-nosed coach with these guys. It, it, it couldn't happen. I think they respected Brett a lot and I think they do respect Brett a lot. He's very well respected in the league. I agree with you to an extent. I think his experience is more difficult when you add on the fact that he played with a different roster like every yeah. year, a dramatically different roster every year, and like a different set of guys every night for like three years. There were G League call-ups on a very regular basis. So I think you're right. It's unfortunate that they gave him an opportunity after the process to try to be the guy to like to achieve success afterwards because he took all the shit for a long long time and they gave him two years i would argue and it was probably a year too long but there's a level of coaching that 
Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons specifically, being some of the top players in the league need. And Brett just, he can't be that head guy. And we're seeing that now with Doc Rivers, who just has a ton of NBA experience. And very much like Brett commands respect, but on like even like a higher level. I think uh, just on the coaching thing, I think it's, they're all very different. I'm talking, forget about baseball. I'm just talking about the other three sports. So <laughs> football, obviously play calling is such a unique part of that job that doesn't really exist in real time in the other sports. Right. Um, and in hockey, you have personnel decisions. And, and really, I think in all sports, it's about how, how well do you manage egos? How well do you understand what, what strings to pull, buttons to push for different players? And if you're not good at that, you're probably not going to be a good coach. And I also think basketball is weird to me because you have such a limited bench. There's not a lot of alternative pieces to put in there if you need something different. You just have, what, 12, 12 guys, um, which is unique, I think. So, But I do think the, the biggest... Uh, coaching sort of um kind of attribute if you will that's important is that is that managing the egos like jeff to your point like i mean we're watching the, the world juniors last night and my son said what do coaches even do and the, these guys are at this level and that they're that good what are they there's there's nothing they can tell them like and it's not just like hey you, you should be uh you know looking to pass there it's not that it's more just implementing a system if you have that in place or whatever it's all these like subtle things that you don't maybe or maybe the casual fan doesn't understand why there's certain personnel decisions, but the coach has a has a different perspective on. It. I think it's it's hard to it's hard to criticize coaches just because mm-hmm. they're they're they look like they're not able to do much or are doing much. Yeah, yeah, and I think then you layer on like the connectivity that coaches now have to fans and players now have to fans and media, and like this just constant barrage of like. You know, the Philly fans saying you should be doing this. Doug should be doing that. Doc should be like as much as people may say they're insulated from that. They're not. They hear all the shit talking that everybody gives them. And, you know, I think it takes a very special human who's willing to put up with that shit, which is why I also don't feel like criticizing them in any meaningful fashion is fair. It's just it's too easy to point that finger. And it's always bigger than the one guy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, getting back to what I was saying earlier, <clears throat> as much as these guys are professionals, and I expect them because they're pros to be playing at their highest level every game. And the fact that they don't sometimes, and the Doc Rivers of the world versus the Brett Browns of the world will get his players to do that, right? Will get his, like, the, his football team to, to line up and punch the other guy in the mouth every play because there's a lot of games where you watch the Eagles or other teams like they look like they didn't even want to show up and that motivation factor is real but you said earlier like they're they're grown-ass men like I know that's what frustrates me yeah they don't do it but I don't know that that's and maybe like basketball it's it's a little bit more manageable in my mind because there are less players but like a football team I mean, getting every single guy at that level every Sunday, I don't know that that's Doug Peterson's responsibility. And I don't know. I think he establishes a culture maybe and things like that. But they're they're adults. They are like human beings who uh, some of them are the best at what they do in the world. Yeah. And they're expected to just like listen to Doug. So when the Eagles (laughs) take 11, you know, false start penalties in in the first half. I mean, do you think that that's just on the players being, you know, kind of not not there or not into it? Or do you think Peterson needs to have a different approach? Is that a coach or is that the team? I mean, they've been playing football for like 20 years. Like, how is that on the coach? Like, you don't move until the ball snapped. Like, yeah, I guess they're maybe culturally during practice or not. But like, seriously, <laughs> like that's what like I hate burying coaches. Yeah, but then sometimes yeah, it's like you. it's a, it's unbelievable that Doc Rivers shows up. And I was kind of excited about because I know you, you know Brett Brown's a pushover, and Doc isn't. And how much of an impact that had? It's like, damn it, though they're 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 professional basketball players. Why didn't they have this fire in their bellies 
with Brett. And it's just it's it's just life. It's the way it is. It is. It's early and winning helps everything. Like winning solves more problems than personnel, than front offices, than coaches. So it's true. You know, the fact that they're having success, they've added a couple Tobias Harris is playing like the best basketball player in the league. And a week ago, I said he was the worst basketball player in the league. The only game I watched so far was the worst game he played of his career. (laughs) And I was like, I freaking hate this guy. So, I mean, there are things that are happening. Like Seth Curry is shooting like 50% from three. Like the the other shoe will drop. But I I mean, it's fun now. They have momentum now. And, you know, I'm going to ride this. I inevitably hate them in six days. Coach's Corner, this man lost everything betting on stocks. This was written by Colin Roach from pragcap.com. Colin's article takes on stock picking and the way it's glorified in financial media, when in fact it's extremely difficult to do and can and often does lead to outcomes much different than the man who made millions from Tesla. What do you got, Jeff? You said you read it. <laughs> so he's talking about articles that are that are basically stock picking, right? And then he, he gets into a little bit about he's not advocating for active versus passive, but everyone needs a little active in their life. I didn't buy into that at all. I now knew he was going to go to the active versus passive. I just well, it's it. just it, it, I just felt like he was talking out of both sides of his mouth. I mean, everyone has to be some degree of active. You don't just pile all your money in a Vanguard index fund and ride the waves. Why don't you? I mean, I just didn't, I don't understand that. I mean, I think you could probably argue that like the activity of rebalancing and as, as of tax loss harvesting, there's a there's a timing component to those types of things. And even though they're very, very much, they're, they're not active in the traditional sense, it's activity. That's how I interpreted his his version of it was activity, not necessarily active. Well, I think he's saying he doesn't believe that passive investing is a thing exists because you still have to make decisions on how to allocate how much international to have it. Even if you're just buying a Vanguard funds and and never looking at them, you still have to make the decision on how much to have in what. Um, and I, I I agree with that. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll I mean that's not how I interpreted his last paragraph um but if that's what he meant then sure yeah i mean you although i would argue yeah you pick like five six equity funds that are indexes and just throw money in them and just let them go and 20 30 years later you'll be you'll be really well rewarded for it because then he he literally debunks picking stocks Mm -hmm. with his last two comments stock picking is very very difficult and most of us would benefit from diversification and number two, basically only put as much in stocks that you are willing to lose. Mm-hmm. In stocks meaning like individual, individual. equities. Yeah. So uh, he, he ties in the beginning where he, he is super critical of the articles that talk about how, you know, the Bitcoin millionaire, the, the Tesla, the guy who bought call options on Tesla and it turned it into, you know, seven feet, whatever it is. And, or if you, if you put 10,000 in the Amazon IPO, you would have X hundred percent, hundred percent. Right. I think if I could wave a wand and get rid of every type of article along those lines, I would do it tomorrow. It's so true. It serves no purpose other than to give people the wrong impression about how to invest and what other people are doing. And it's all, it's all those things. And it's, it's idiotic. Um, then he goes on to sort of talk about how markets really work, which is that, and he gives some stats here, which when you first read them, you might gloss over them, but it's insane because 80% of the entire gains from the market, so whatever the market returns are over a long period of time, 80% of it comes from just 20% of the stocks. So what that means is if you don't own those one out of five stocks, if you happen to not pick them, you're not getting the market gains. And in fact, it's even worse um, because 80% of the stocks across all the market has a 0% gain. It's right. goose egg. So that, that means that if you, again, if you don't own those 20% or if you happen to pick the wrong ones, you're, you're, you're down big time. You're not 
turn you're not buying Tesla, you know, because you're the only one who knows about it and it goes from, you know, you know, ten grand to a million bucks. It's it's so true that you have to own the 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 huge you have to own the huge winners in order to get the market gain, market return. And thinking you can pick just those huge winners is idiocy. Idiocy. You have to own the S and P five hundred index, which owns five hundred companies, knowing that only 10 of those companies are going to deliver the return that you need. No, I think it's, I think it's even more than that. Like you go beyond the S&P 500. Some of these stocks I'm start just, out in the I'm, Russell 2000, those small caps, and they turn into the giants. And you have to own them not once they get added to the S&P. You have to own them from the beginning and, and in the right proportion. So it argues for diversification, owning everything, which we obviously um, are proponents of. But it's some of this numbers in here are, are just when you stop to think about what actually drives market returns it's not the amazon ipo that you had to have bought or you know a long time ago it's it's owning everything so that you do own those grand slams it's hard to i think it's hard to wrap your head around it a little bit i was trying to simplify it with yeah. like the s p right like the s p has 500 companies in it but wh- how many companies actually drove the return in that in 2020 Oh, just a handful. Small. Like I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm asking you, like what, like 10, 15? I, I mean, whatever it, the number it, it's is. It's small. It's, it's a low number. And, and no one knew that those companies specifically were going to be the ones that drove the S&P growth. But the only way you get the growth of the S&P is if you own it all. Because being able to identify those ahead of time is impossible, mm-hmm. which is what we preach. But what's, what sucks is the individual investor, our clients, looks back at 2020 yeah. and goes, well, everyone would have known that Apple, Microsoft, Google, and like Tesla, and like we all knew like they would have been the performers in 2020. It's like, how do you convince someone that, that that's like rear view mirror thinking? It's, it's, it's very difficult because in every one of those cases, whether you're talking about Amazon or Tesla or Bitcoin or you name it, it's not just the, wow, it went from X to Y and it's thousands of percent return. It's incredible if you put it in dollar terms and whoa, whoa, whoa. What people don't remember is the drawdowns along the way were like 80%. There, you, you, so, if, oh, you put 10 grand into you know Amazon and it turned into 100 grand in short order. You're thrilled. All of a sudden, that 100 went back down to 20 grand. What are you doing? Are you holding on to it? Are you buying more? Mostly no. And, and that happens like, in all of those giant grand slams, unless you are almost invisibly owning it by buying and holding it and as part of like a diversified fund. That's kind of, to me, how I look at it. Yeah. And I would argue to add on to what you said, Jeff, about how do you tell people like, I mean, obviously hindsight bias, but then people think that they would stay with Amazon when it loses 80%. I don't know how many times people are like, oh, I wouldn't have sold it. It's like, yeah. I couldn't get you to stay in when the market was off five. You think you're going to stay in Amazon when it's off 80? I mean, people just have, I mean, we're not aware. We're not self-aware of our biases. And that's natural. And that's investor behavior. And that's why we exist collectively. But it's hysterical to hear from people that they think they're, like, there's, there's science to support these things. And they think they're immune to them. It's because when when you say to an investor, would you stick with Amazon if it was off 80? They think of Amazon today. Well, yeah, if Amazon today was off 80, it's a great company. I'd stick with it. But it's down 80 because the government just passed an antitrust law, which says that Amazon can't do what Amazon does. And at that point in time, it's down 80%. So you're freaking out at that point going, no, they can never produce and 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 have the business that they had because this is now happening so yeah we're out of it and then what happens is that gets reversed or something else happens (laughs) and amazon comes back i mean that's that's the reality of it it's not going to be amazon that you know it now when it's down 80 it's going to be there because there's a reason why it's down 80 and meanwhile through all of that these headlines continue like <laughs> if you would have done x you would have y yeah um, with the experience of that investment not being truly documented the worst the worst headline or the worst caption of all articles in my opinion is that one which is 10 th- and they always use $10,000 $10,000 invested <laughs> in xyz would be worth whatever today and it's like 
<laughs> so useless and ridiculous. What it's whatever. Um, good article, but I think we've talked about this topic before. But it's worth talking about again, especially now with all these crazy um, single stocks and companies and and so forth that are doing this again. Yeah, and unfortunately, it just feels like that's so much more people's interpretation of investing, right? The it, it is single company, single stock investing. It's not um, funds. It, it's not diversification. It's not owning as much as you possibly can in as many markets as you possibly can because that's boring and it doesn't it doesn't lead to these staggering numbers that you know very very few people experience. But with with that being all, some people have in terms of their um, their awareness, it's really hard to like dispel. I mean, I think it's it's the industry's fault. You know, I'm on Yahoo Finance right now and all of the quote unquote articles are ads. I mean, and you would have to look to see it's an ad. You have to read, and, but it, what is the best biotech stock to buy right now? <laughs> Marijuana stocks surge with Democratic Senate, likely. Are any good buys now? Man who predicted 2020 crash says 2021 is the year. I mean, they just go on mm. two strong buy penny stocks that could deliver massive Ooh. returns. Like it's all the same thing. And it's the opposite of the articles that the average investor should be reading. Yeah. And so I've said this before. You should have your real money, your core money, you know, your, your long-term money invested sensibly and boringly. I think it's perfectly fine to take carve off a little bit of play money if you like to do this, if it gives you some sort of, it satisfies an interest or whatever. The problem is you shouldn't have enough of that, say call it play account, invested in too much of your money that couldn't that you couldn't do without if it went mm -hmm. to zero. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the problem with that is, is that even if you get a 10x return on one of the stocks, it's probably not life-changing. So it's really just more entertaining than really meaningful if you carve off a little bit of money that you could do completely without forever if it were to burn up so that if you get these if you if you happen to find a next 10 or 20 times return on something it's is it really going to change your life no it's not unless you get lucky like our one client whose wife bought apple for 1700 dollars and it's worth 800 grand now like but the odds of but, that happening are like it, it's literally she hit the lottery yeah, and I would argue even that's like, was that life changing? For them, probably not. If they didn't have that, they'd probably right. be okay with that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, For them, yeah, you're probably, probably not. right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's 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 amazing. The, the 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 headlines are just it drives me crazy. I can't, and I don't know. I would imagine because Yahoo Finance is kind of a bullshit site to begin with. <laughs> yeah, it's the worst. I mean, are the other more reputable ones different? Like Morningstar. I mean, do you see sh shitty ads on Morningstar too? No, Morningstar is more of a prof like a professional resource, but I mean, I'm thinking of the other retails as CBS Market Watch and yeah, stuff like terrible. that. They're all the same, right? It's CNBC, you know, on on the internet. It's all the same. On to the next one. <laughs> what do we got? Um, New Year's resolutions that will actually lead to happiness. Arthur C. Brooks wrote this for the Atlantic. New Year, new me. How many times have we said or heard someone, some version of that ahead of January 1st? Arthur's article offers some tips to be successful in your resolutions while acknowledging the difficulty most people experience in attempting to better themselves. So there's like, I guess, two ways we could talk about this because he starts the article talking about like New Year's resolutions, why people succeed, why people don't. But then he said... Like, let me suggest two direct happiness resolutions. Are we talking about that? Or are we talking about New Year's resolutions as a thing? So I enjoyed this article. You guys? Opinion? Yeah, I mean, I think I feel like it's ground that's been covered before to an extent, but... With us? Or um, Yeah, a little bit with us, but also just in general. Um, New Year's resolutions and goal setting and all that. But, yeah, yeah. That yeah, but I thought his his analysis of it, like why most New Year's resolutions fail because they take a more negative approach to evaluating it versus a positive, I thought was pretty interesting to, to read and understand. 
um, I cracked up at like the percentages of what most of them are. Yeah, you didn't even need to read them to know. Like, you what know, they were. Like, yeah. like save more, eat better, exercise more, lose weight. It's financial or health, <laughs> mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, I think almost everybody wants to be healthier, feel healthier, look healthier, which mm-hmm. are all those things about diet and exercise. Mm-hmm. So that that makes sense. And financial, sure. I mean, um, that's not surprising at all, right? No, but it was interesting. It's like. But everybody fails at it, right? Everybody joins the gym in January and then literally before January's over, they don't go anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's just because they haven't really, like it sounds, what did he say at some point? Like it sounds, they think about the actual goal without thinking about what has to be sacrificed to get to the goal. It's like, I want to be healthy. I want to go to the yeah. gym more. Okay, but that means you got to get up at six o'clock in the morning yeah. and sweat for an hour and lose sleep and like, or sleep that you were used to, to getting. Uh, and they don't think about that. It's just the thought of like being healthier. Yeah, and that gets to what we talked about before, which is goals in, the, in and of themselves being kind of the focus as opposed to the habits that mm-hmm. you want to build into your daily life that you know will lead to a better outcome, not not this line in the sand of, of how much weight I want to lose or how much, how fast I can run the, you know, the, the 5k or whatever it is um and i that that resonates with me more than the goal part of it me too and and i would argue that the date is arbitrary too i and i i can absolutely understand how how people how this works for some in terms of like turning over a new leaf or or whatever I, i just i've always felt personally that if you wanted to do something differently January 1st should be no different than September 6th or August 14th. I mean, it doesn't, that part of New Year's resolutions, I've always struggled with, that there needed to be a point in time in which you decided to to do something different. I, I think that has a lot to do with from pretty much Thanksgiving through the end of the year. Right, most people you're a slug. Go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And, and they just feel so disgusting with themselves, disgusted with themselves that they just can't. I, I, no, you're right. Financially, they've spent all their yeah. money and they've eaten and drank everything in sight. I get it. But it, it just it's it's taken on this. We're, we're not we're not admitting that that's what it is. We're acting like I can be a new person tomorrow on January 1st. And I wasn't this heathen on December 31st. Like it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. I I'm I'm a New Year's resolution person. Mm-hmm. It's not it's sense. it's not like I'm going to set my New Year's resolutions. I use the beginning of the year, let's call it January, to kind of reflect on the goals I want to set personally for the year. And it's just January because it's January, um, and it's probably tied to like New Year's resolution stuff. Mm-hmm. So I use it as like the time for me to kind of reflect and start and plan. And eventually what happens is like the world and life gets crazy during the course of the year, but I do have them still written down that I reflect back to. Uh, so I just find January 1st as like a good, not, and it's not specifically January 1st, it's just the month of January um, to, do, to do that kind of planning. Um, but no, if I felt like in June that, Man, I gotta like I should start running more. I, I mean, I would build my plan to start running more in June. I wouldn't, you know, wait six months. Wait six months <laughs> and do it. Like that's stupid. <laughs> but I do like thinking of some corny ones. Like I thought of um, my New Year's resolution is like to not look at my phone in my car. Like I, it's an easy one. It's not. I'm not trying to bring myself more happiness. I'm just trying not to kill somebody by like. And I definitely like probably look at my phone too much in a car. So that's my resolution. Like I'm not gonna touch it. Like if my if it if I get a text, if I maybe if if the call comes through the Bluetooth, I'll handle that. But anything else, because I'm you know me, I'm a little bit absent-minded. Like if I don't do something immediately, it's probably gonna leave my brain. So if I'm in the car, I'm like, oh, I gotta like text somebody. This I'll I'll try to text them when it's safe. But you know, half the times it's not safe. So never is it safe. Red like if. No, yeah, if you're stopped count. at a red light, it's still not safe because it turns green and the person behind you starts to go and they back <laughs> and they run into you. Yeah. Uh, 
And I was I as as much as uh, you think it's corny, Meg. I thought the end of it his he actually like described you know what people do, the stats, why they fail, and then said, "Look, this is what I do, and I think it brings me happiness." And you're shitting all over it. No, and I, I like that's probably an important distinction. I think whatever works for other people is great. If you want to make every New Year's resolution to begin at December 12, midnight on January 1st, I give you so much credit. The people who are in the gym on the 2nd, the 3rd, and the 4th, I think it's awesome. People who save more money, stop using their phones, I think it's great. It's not for me. And I think that like these types of articles annoy me because I feel like I'm not doing something even though it's not what I want to do. Like they're shaming me because I don't give a, f- I don't want to give, I don't want to do a New Year's resolution. I'm perfect. And there's, <laughs> there's not, <laughs> no, that, I guess that's my biggest beef with it. If it works for you, great. Just don't like preachy me about it. I didn't find it very preachy at all. What, work, what works for be, you, Meg? <laughs> I don't know. Just like living my life and not hurting other people. Like, Are you a goal setter? Not really. No. No, I'm not. I'm not a goal setter. Even though you tell our clients every day to set goals. I do. I do. I think they benefit <laughs> from the exercise more than I do. No, I'm probably being a bit contradictory in, in, in things I've said before, but I, I consider myself pretty happy, so I don't need happiness resolutions, Arthur. I hope that they work for other people. I thought there were two really good suggestions, <laughs> honestly. Like, make a New Year's resolution to forgive somebody that you've had some beef with in the past. Like, you, it'll make you instantly happier. You there's, harbor that, though? Like, I don't, I, there's nobody I could think I, of that I, I need to I forgive. don't either, but there's a lot of people that, that, sure. that do. So sure. I thought that was a good recommendation. Sure. If you've never done a gratitude list, I like, I would, I learned about them maybe two years ago and started doing them. And it's like one of the most rewarding exercises I've ever done in my life. I'm I'm kind of with you, Meg, a little bit on the preachiness. I thought, again, it's like this. This it's all about self improvement. All that's all resolutions are, right? And then um, too much of it is impossible to execute for mm-hmm. sure. Too certainly too quickly. And there's one suggestion here about just don't just do like two push ups a day to start, and then get yourself. That seems more reasonable, um, but. The hard part is balancing because all, all these things that most people resolve to do or not do, there's a cost to it, which is either personal satisfaction or something that they like to do, whether it's, you know, eat shitty food or, or, or um, drink too much, whatever it is. And, and so that's, that's why people can't stick to <laughs> resolutions right. because you have to give up something that you actually have proven to yourself that you enjoy doing or for whatever reason it's in your life. So you have to um, make the decision well in advance. Like I need to stop eating fried foods and you have to have the conviction to do that. Otherwise just saying it because it's January 1st, like, Oh, I'll stop eating greasy food. Like, yeah, but then you're going to be at the bar a week later and you really like fries. You're going to eat the fries. So I know a guy who, who does, he's, he's, he's dry January guy. Right. But the other eleven months, he's he's at nobody's wetter, right? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So it's like I, I, don't, I mean, I guess that that's his way of like taking the resetting. break and resetting, yeah. and that's fine. That's fine. Um, yeah, I think he has a bigger problem. Our, our, <laughs> I, I feel like there's two things. So before you have the conviction, you have to have the self awareness, and people are not self aware, right? You have to be willing to look in the mirror and say, "There's something about myself." that I don't like or I want to improve. And I don't think, I think beyond like the the physical and maybe the financial, like there's not a lot of other things that people are like, oh, I want to be happier or I want to be more gracious. Like I don't think people think that way about themselves. Right. And then on top of that, I think unfortunately we're just like societally held to these like very unrealistic standards about our physical appearance, but then about our happiness and about like what our life should be like. So when you set these resolutions, like, is it is it complete? Is your motive because you want to better yourself, or is your motive because you want to look like some bitch on Instagram, right? Or because you want to be able to buy the car? And I'm not like your motive is yours. I don't give a shit why you're doing what you're doing, but 
it feels disingenuous too if a we're not like being truly honest with ourselves about what we want to improve and then like why do you want to improve that like we're not perfect no one's perfect and some average people who have good friends and a relatively good life like you don't have to live through this this like exercise of like trying to fix what maybe isn't broken well i think some people just use the january as like so i was uh, friends of mine were talking about doing the dry january and another friend was like i don't want to do a dry january like i enjoy drinking now what i am re- resoluting to is i want to cut back like i just don't I, like I'm tired of like every now and then being hung over. So no, I'm not doing a dry January, but my goal for this year and, and moving forward is a lifestyle change to not drink as much and not when I do drink, not drink as much. So I feel shitty the next day. I'm like, okay, that's a good New Year's resolution and no better time than now to do it. Now, Meg's point is this person should have started in July. Yeah, after they reason. had that bender and they felt like <laughs> shit. Like that's when they should have been like, all right, now I'm going to maybe drink less next time I drink. But it's easier said than done. And again, I'm not shitting on people who do this because I think if you want to be better, be better. That's great. Yeah. Good for everyone. Speaking of better. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just talk about the best. <laughs> the everlasting influence of Alan Iverson. Zvi Tversky from Slam Online um, wrote uh, an article, the icon that is Allen Iverson. As Philadelphia fans, we were lucky enough to observe him on our team and in our community, but his impact on fans, players, and the NBA is much bigger than Philly. Being from Philly, Mm -hmm. living through being a season ticket holder when AI was playing. I mean, I knew all this. Yeah. So it was really cool to see someone document it mm-hmm. as well as Tversky did. <laughs> um, and I thought he wrote it really well, even though it's on slam.com or whatever that is. Slam online is like a very is it? I'm, I'm never good, like reputable okay. NBA. Um, I thought he did a great job. I mean, I was like almost in tears when he was telling the story about him picking up the pictures and like walking. Like it was cr- – like, I envisioned it in my mind as he was like getting taking a real quick step back. A New Year's resolution like every year for me is like to read more. I freaking hate reading. You know why? Because I pick up a book and it sucks, and I never get. The, but like if I if I I would read more if I read more of Svi's stuff because he's I think he's a good writer. He's a good writer, but he's also writing about something that you have a I genuine really passion in or like. for. So. AI is who, like, the first basketball player I remember, like, truly, truly being a fan of. So 2001, I would have been 12 when they were in the finals. (laughs) So, and, like, my family, who's a big basketball family, like, every game of the playoffs that year, we had Sixers parties. And so there's a lot of, obviously, nostalgia in that for me. But he is who I consider the reason I fell in love with watching basketball. I played basketball because my dad told me to and whatever. But, like, watching it and watching the NBA specifically, he is that guy for me. Which reading something like this that had a lot of anecdotes about things that were maybe outside my viewership of him as a fan was cool. I... I feel like every time there's like an article written about an athlete, it's always like, or where you watch a 30 for 30, it's like, this person changed the game. Like, did they all change the game? I think a lot of people would say Iverson, like a lot of those people who we maybe watch another 30 for 30 on would credit Iverson with a lot of the influence of the, like a lot of influencing them. Like there's no, like, I feel like they said the same stuff about Dennis Rodman. Like the tattoos and like the extravagance of, of, of him. Now, I mean, I remember, like I was, I still am, but I like, I grew up with hip hop. Like I loved that culture. I loved the style. So when he came and played in the NBA, it was like, oh, I've been listening to these guys anyway. So that's really cool vibe. And then like, I kind of quickly learned like all the old white men were like, this guy's a thug. And like, and all the shit they were saying was like, he didn't even do that. Like, okay, so he didn't go to practice. 
and he stayed out late at like TGI Fridays on like downtown. Val like, Kenwood. Val, like who cares? <laughs> like he wasn't that bad of a guy. Mm. But like just the old white dudes hated him because he was this black inner city kid with tats and like cornrows. Like that's the worst thing he did. Mm-hmm. And it was it was cool to watch his career, watch him go through all that shit to make it better and more acceptable for everyone else in the league after him. Like he had I don't think there's any doubt that he changed the culture of the NBA. No, that's and that's why the difference between him and Rodman is and maybe Rodman was what kind of made open people's eyes a bit before AI, but he is the point in time when rules changed, dress codes changed. Yeah. They were allowed to wear, you know, arm sleeves like and 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 sweatbands like there was a point in time where that shit wasn't allowed and AI is the reason it was and now the league has become popular both like athletically obviously but also socially it's it's regarded as one of the more progressive leagues i probably the most progressive league you know in in the big four and it's because of like him you know and 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 the people who followed him continuing to be like as authentic to themselves as they were to the game of basketball and it's just cool and then it's cool that we get to be a fan of his as a philadelphia fan i don't know if his career would have been the same if he landed anywhere else but philly you're probably like philly was the home for a guy like him from the standpoint of the appreciation of the grittiness that he brought every freaking to my favorite line from him at at post game was like the i've said this to you guys a million times like the reporter was like uh, Alan, did you um, you know, did you feel any sense of fatigue in that like second overtime? And he was like, fatigue. The only fatigue I know is army fatigues. <laughs> it was hysterical, dude. <laughs> he, I don't think his career would have been the same anywhere outside of Philly. Yeah, I mean, he's retired from the Sixers like five times, so <laughs> I think you're probably right. I actually, I so I read the article and it ended, and I'm like, oh, I wish I wanted more, since I'm not as well-versed in his like specifics of his um i mean I, I i understand his you know newport news and georgetown and all and obviously his talent as he played um I, I just wanted more of that instead of just this little it seemed like just a little snippet of the appreciation from all these other people on paper about what he did for the game and for the for the culture too and yeah. and that was great but i i, I wanted more <laughs> there's no I'm sure there is a lot more that's yeah. out there there's no shortage of ai documentaries yeah. that that are like you can't take your eyes off it like mm-hmm. i've watched them and when they're on i watch them again and mm-hmm. again and they're great and he wasn't like a perfect person he didn't hang with the greatest people but like who is who does i have friends that are assholes and have been mm-hmm. in jail I'm like who like that's just life man I think um, now. Oh, sorry. Good, good. What's cool to see now is his genuine respect and like excited dad on the sidelines vibe that he gives to the current league and the current players. Because there's a lot of old dudes who just shit on younger dudes and hate about how it was so much harder in our day and yeah. blah blah blah. And like AI has never been that guy. He ha- he hugs people. He like. He he gets as excited about the Sixers and really about the success of the league and the players that he like has relationships with as as anybody. And that I think has been as my fandom has evolved, the coolest thing about him as his playing days are more in the rear view, like seeing him on the sideline at All-Star games, get up and high five and hug all these players who like idolized him. And not be a hater is so fucking cool and is I like that is his legacy to me now is just being a really, really awesome ambassador for the game of basketball, even when he's no longer participating in it. He's obviously a good dude. Yeah. Like he's an emotional guy. He's, he's a, a crier. He's a crier. Yeah. But it's, he's. He loves life. Like you can you can see like he loves the people that love him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. He doesn't shit on the people that hate him. Like, he he is who he is. And I will tell you, I mean, I watched Michael Jordan play live. I watched AI play live. He is the most unbelievable athlete I ever saw play live. Like, 
it was, it's probably similar to what Atlanta fans felt like when they watched Michael Vick in his prime there. Mm-hmm. Watching him, you know, 15 rows from the court, he was smaller and faster and more athletic than everyone on the court. All these people that should have been dominating him, he dominated. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I mean, I saw him live too. And I mean, I think the difference with Vic is Vic was, Vic's a big dude. He fits right in physically with that league. Iverson is, was, I mean, incredibly undersized compared to, and, and what a disadvantage in that sport yeah. that is, and, and, and given his role and what he could do. Unbelievable. There, nothing like it. Watching him move around people with the ball in his hand. Like, mm-hmm. they don't have the ball. He mm-hmm. does. And he was, like, twice as fast as them. Mm-hmm. It, was, it, was, it was the most incredible thing to watch. And, like, the, the confidence. Like, there was no player, Shaq included, he played against that he shied away from. And at, at his size, but just, I mean, that is that is an incredible <laughs> attribute of any athlete, in particular somebody who's playing a sport dramatically understands. Yeah. Well, as you guys know, I'm a casual basketball fan. <laughs> uh, actually, that's totally sarcastic, so I'm not even that. But I was definitely at my most fandom when he was on the team, watching, you know, during those yeah. years. Just, it was so cool. Yeah. When I read an article, I typically get, like, maybe a tenth of the way into it, and then I start, like, looking to see how long it is. <laughs> um I think I got about 40% of the way through this one, looked. I was like, all right, there's more. And then I looked again, and there was only like a paragraph left. So I felt just like it was like, oh, I wish there was a little bit more to keep going. Yeah. Cool. All right. Top five. This was tough for me, man. Top five worst team names. It was tough because you had a lot or tough because you couldn't think of any? (sighs) I, I think everyone is a bad name. I think that's why it's tough. Oh, uh, okay. Did you guys have any that weren't professional? I'm assuming you have some college. Um, I do. I went into the college ranks. Yes. I, I mean, I have a couple extras. So. I stayed in the pros. Okay. There are a lot of bad ones, so it's kind of hard to... I, I find went the worst th- of the worst. I went through the pros first, and then I, was, I had like 12. And I was like, okay, I, I got to get some college and... I have two that I kept from the college. I had to do a process of elimination. <laughs> yeah. So like I looked at the menu and I had to like disregard certain <laughs> sections of it. Like the offensive section, right? Like the Braves, the Indians, the oh, Chiefs, yeah, the Blackhawks. I, I, had to, I had to eliminate that. Yeah. Then I had to eliminate the colors section. Like the blues, the reds, the browns. I put the browns because <laughs> right? not awful. only. I think it's Paul Brown. I think it's named after the, like the founder it's, of the team. I don't owner. care. It's still bad. Well, I the did worst research. color to choose. Right. Yeah. I'll, I'll, okay. So but I had I, to eliminate the, the color <laughs> section. Okay. And then I had to eliminate like the birds section. Like there's a section of birds. I don't think there's a, a more represented animal than birds when it comes. Probably to bir- not. But I have a bird on mine. <laughs> it's the softest bird of the birds. Why don't you start? Then? <laughs> I know. I know I what yours to, is. I went a little different direction. Go ahead, man. Um, all right. So. The softest of the birds. All right. I'll just, I'll start with my one college. Well, I already told you I did the Browns. And again, I don't care if it's Paul Brown, just make it Paul Blue. Like, change his name. It is the worst color on the planet to be. And their uniforms are horrific. They are the worst. That could be another one. Another <laughs> not topic. All right. The Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, yeah, that's a great call, actually. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I should have probably ended with that, yeah, but that yeah. is objectively the craziest thing. You know, that's, yeah. <laughs> You're right. All right, the Browns. The Utah Jazz. Uh, what is it named you, after, Mike? They came from New Orleans, right? No, I, I don't know. I yeah, don't know that. The franchise moved from New Orleans where they would name the Jazz for a specific reason. It's the home of jazz now jazz you could argue is a terrible name for a sports anywhere and yeah. but there is a reason i did the same with the la lakers i was like what the hell is a, What's a, a lake? lake doing around la and then i realized i looked it up and all right you did was, a lot more research like than i did from minnesota originally or something like that so anyway go ahead all right so the utah jazz and then the 
I'm just going to continue with New Orleans, I guess. The pelicans. Yeah, I was thinking about them. It is the worst bird on the planet. It's horrible. The blue jays are a very close second, but a pelican? What about the orioles? Like, I mean... There's so many birds. It's yeah, terrible. the orioles yeah. are stupid too. But like blue jays and orioles, that's at least baseball. So it's gen like already softer. But a pelican as a basketball player... It's just stupid. It's stupid. I agree. It's really dumb. Um, the Clippers, Los Angeles Clippers. Like yeah. I don't even. Is point. there a reason for that? Point. It was. You know, it was in is. my list that I'm that I'm narrowing down. <laughs> What's a clipper? <laughs> I don't know. Like a hair clipper? I don't know. <laughs> and then <laughs> you guys are probably gonna be mad I did this, but I'm putting all of the Philly sports teams in one. That was my. That was another category. Like I, I did. They're all horrible except for the Eagles. I did. I didn't include the Eagles. Philly Sixers Flyers are all stupid. Just names. they're the dumbest names I've ever. Like I don't understand any of them. What's a flyer? <laughs> Someone who flies around. Yes. <laughs> What's a Philly? Like is is the Philly like the horse? Like a Philly, or is it like we're I thought from it was someone Philly. from Philadelphia? Yeah, I think that's what. And I then think. a 76er because that's when the fi- the there's country a lot was of lazy naming so going stupid. on. It's so just bad. Lazy. Philadelphia's so, are terrible. I just put Philly into one. Okay. I agree with you 100. <laughs> All, right. All right, that was mine. All right, I'll go next. Okay, Jeff, I think you, it seems like you have the the coup de gras over there. Um, I don't, but I'm, I mean, I'm just I'm eliminating from this list on the left. So I know right. I know we were avoiding all the um, like the offensive sections. This is not offensive. <laughs> this is just a stupid name, and that's the Washington football team. I mean, yeah. agreed. Come on, it should have been that's on all. All of you this. can do. <laughs> Even though it's temporary, come on. Um, next, I have two of them, but they're under the same category: the Fighting Irish and the Fighting Illini. What's next? The the you know the the, the clashing uh, college kids. Uh, I, the why do you have to call them fighting? It's stupid. The Fighting like, Irish is yeah. so dumb. That's a good one. I didn't even think. Yeah, that. it's a really good one. My family would be pissed. If I <laughs> this one might be. I just may be ignorant about why it's called this or pronounced this, but isn't it Celtic, not Celtic? Aren't they Kel- Celtics? Why do we call them the Celtics, not the Celtics? Because Celtics sounds stupid. But isn't yeah, that the Celtics what it's is named much after? Better. Isn't that what it's, yes. the name is based on? Yes, I think. I'm calling them the Boston Celtics from now on. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't care what you say. No, I, I hate them, so I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine with this. I'm fine with this. Um, the, the next one is another category, and this is any team that does not have a plural, that does not end in S. There's a lot. I'm talking Stanford Cardinal, Oklahoma Thunder, Orlando Magic, Tampa Bay Lightning, the Heat. The Heat. They were um, on my list for a while. Anybody that you're, you're just so unoriginal, you have to go to the, the, like, the non-plural yeah. version of it. I hate that. Yeah, I agreed. So. But all of those you just named, even if they were plural, the Cardinals, like again with the birds, the magic. I don't. What's the point? Right. Magic is there there magicians. <laughs> yeah, be terrible. That would be better. The magic is awesome. all right. And then number one doesn't exist anymore. But when the team uh, was first formed in the '90s, the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, because Disney was the owner of the team at the time and they had that, that movie. Yeah. And they named the stupid hockey team the Mighty Ducks. And finally a decade later they got new ownership and thank God because they dropped the Mighty and now it's just Anaheim Ducks. The Mighty Ducks was the dumbest name for a hockey team especially. <laughs> named after a stupid movie with with um what's his name? Mark uh, Charlie uh Emilio, Emilio Estevez. Did they have the same logo yeah. as the kids in the movie too? Yeah, I think so. I think so. they did. Yeah. Wait, so do we hate Mighty Ducks as a movie? Um, I'm not going to say that. It's not. Okay. It's actually okay. somewhat entertaining. I did not know that yeah. Disney owned the team. Yeah. I knew that they were the Mighty Ducks, which I always thought was corny. But mm-hmm. So there you go. Thanks for all the background on yeah, the work sure. you did on that, Mike. So I hate all of these. I don't know <laughs> if any of them have like legitimate backgrounds. Um, the Oakland Athletics. Uh-huh. What's an athletic? I mean, I guess like an athlete. Like, like an, an athletic, athletic athlete? I feel like you got to give them a little. I mean, that, that franchise is from like 1908, and maybe back then that's kind they of. Had birds. <laughs> they had birds. <laughs> the Los Angeles Dodgers? What's a Dodger? Like, I mean, I'm seriously asking you, like, what is a Dodger? Don't know. We don't know. Okay. <laughs> 
the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> like they're a Maple Leaf. Like I don't think there's any other foliage would in any pre- sport. <laughs> would, you, would you prefer Maple Leaves to be grammatically correct? I mean, it's it's Wait, grammatically incorrect. Are there other? <laughs> there's got to be like a tree, like like the pines, like, like an oak or the something. spruces. <laughs> Syrup, Canada. Maple tree? That's where it's comes. terrible. It's a leaf. It's a leaf. Who are you dude? intimidating as a leaf? It's terrible. I know he Hockey I knew was he... actually probably the worst league. The Edmonton Oilers? <laughs> You're what's an oiler? Oil. Someone that shoots Can't, like that looks Alberta. for oil. It's oil fields. That's a natural resource that's rich the stupidest province. Ma- that's that's the dumbest <laughs> team name I've ever heard. Like And I, my, my number one is the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> what is the what's a bill? Well, I think that's after the character Buffalo Bill. Right? That's the like. Is that seriously like? <laughs> we should call it like Buffalo Bill. Like, let's call him the Bill. Like, what? That can't be true. Like, I just I the don't bill, know. A Bill has to be like a nickname for a buffalo, like the actual animal, right? I guess. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Though. If it's not, then it's literally they're just going off of like Buffalo Bill. Let's call him Buffalo Bill, dude. It's crazy to me. It's I, I can't believe that's their name. Could have been a top fifty. It could have been a top fifty. <laughs> That was funny. That was that was a good one. Thank you guys for all of your efforts. All right. Thanks for listening. See ya. Take care.